Pardev. My name is Ross Asdorian, and this is Made of Armenians, a series celebrating the influential and inspirational Armenians among us. Today on the show, the only Armenian in the NBA. With an incredible history of 25 years in the league, including three trips on the coaching staff to the All-Star Game, our guest today is currently an assistant coach with the Detroit Pistons. His resume is decorated with players that he's developed like James Harden, Russell Westbrook, DeMar DeRozan, Derek Fisher, and of course, Kevin Durant. As a collegiate player, he set the record for the highest three-point percentage, and as a volunteer, he generously gives his time to places like Academy USA, which is a sports center in Glendale. When he suits up to take the court, Rex is quite literally one in a million. He's calling in today via Skype since he's now living in Detroit, but you will feel his warmth, passion, and knowledge from the moment he speaks. This is my conversation with Rex Kalamian. Hi, Rex. How are you? I'm doing well, Ross. Thank you for having me on. I'm so excited to have you and dig into your incredible journey so others can be inspired by you the way that I have just getting to know you. So let's start with the basics. What are your mother and father's names and where are they from? Well, my mother and father, um, my my father, uh, who has um, passed away a long time ago, his name was John Kalamian, and my mother uh, is Rosalie Kalamian, um, and uh, she lives in Southern California, and um, both my mother and father were born and raised in the Bronx. Uh, my mother went to school in Manhattan and, and she grew up in the Bronx uh, and she stayed there probably until her later teen years when um, eventually moved to New Jersey for a few years. And then um, the family relocated out into the Southern California area, luckily for me. So there you were born and raised as the second of two in Monterey Park, which is a city near Montebello in LA. That's home to the oldest Armenian genocide memorial built a few years after you were born. But you didn't really grow up in the Armenian community. It found you, per se. And at the age of 18, the AGBU basketball team recruited you. Did you even know there was an AGBU team? And how did that happen? I I did not. I didn't know what AGBU actually. I didn't know there was an organization, an Armenian organization like AGBU or Homentmen, you know, different organizations that they have. Um, I was actually playing at East Los Angeles College. I was a, a two-year player there, um, and I was in the gym uh, shooting one day after practice, and the coach came into the gym, and uh, he said to me, uh, Rex, he said, there's somebody on uh, the, the telephone in my office for you. He says he's a coach, and I, I thought it was a recruiting call. I thought it, somebody was calling me to offer me a scholarship to a four-year school. And uh, I was excited. I I sprinted in and I grabbed the telephone and um, the guy on the other line identified himself and said, I'm with AGBU. And uh, I saw you play last week at Glendale College uh, in a game. And I wanted to uh, see if you'd come play for our team. And I I didn't know I didn't know what AGBU meant. I wasn't sure if he was talking about a organization or a college. And I said, it took me, you know, a few minutes. I said, okay, now repeat what you just said, because I'm not quite sure I'm getting this. And he said, well, we have an Armenian organization. It's called AGBU and we have a basketball team uh, and we, we play out of the Valley uh, in Southern California. And we'd like you to come and play on our team. And um, you know, so it it sounded interesting to me. And I said, you know what, as soon as my season is over uh, I'd like to do that. So our season ended and, I, I came out and we had games out in, uh, I think it was out in Hollywood or North Hollywood high school. And, 
um, we, we played in an Armenian basketball league and, and that was kind of my introduction. I was probably 20 years old at the time. And, and that was my introduction basically to being around, um, like, uh, Armenians on a, on a daily or weekly basis, I should say, uh, and, and feeling the culture and the people and, and, and having Armenian friends, honestly, because growing up in Monterey park, I, I my friends were from all different uh, walks of life and all different types of cultures um, and very few, if any, Armenian friends, honestly. So it was a, it was a good introduction for me. Your time and your teammates there. Can you tell me what that meant to you and what it meant to be shepherded into the Armenian community in this way? <laughs> well, I, I wasn't quite sure at first because like I said, I had not spent a lot of time around, um, you know, groups of Armenian people other than, you know, some picnics or, you know, maybe uh, church, uh, Armenian church a few times a year. Uh, so I hadn't been around um, the Armenian culture, even though my mother and father were both Armenian. My grandparents came from Armenia. Uh, uh, our family spoke the language, although I, I did not learn it, unfortunately. Um, so being around these players and being in this environment uh, was, was really new to me. And, but I really liked it. I, I enjoyed it. I felt like I belonged there. Um, and I, I made so many great friends from my time playing with this team, uh, the AGBU Valley team. And uh, I still have friends today. And it was funny because we were all, you know, we were all in college when we were playing back then and all young. And, and, and now everybody has graduated college and has professional careers. And the guys that I was playing with are all, you know, very successful entrepreneurs, doctors, lawyers, uh, dentists, different things um, that everybody's doing. And, and, and I'm really proud to still call a lot of those people uh, friends and, and be, uh, be connected with them. Of course. So I want to come back to how you evolved in the community later in the conversation. But I think we have to make some sense first, because Armenians aren't really built for basketball. We're built for chess or backgammon. So why do you think we have such a big love for the game? You know, at an early age where I lived, there was a, a basketball hoop and a gym next door to my house, literally like a block away. So I think every day after school, I would walk home and I would stop in the gym and I'd put in my whatever it was, three hours until my mother got home from work. And I would spend every afternoon there shooting, dribbling, working on my skill, uh, just just playing, you know, playing in games. And I, I developed a love for the sport and it really it helped me grow up. Um, and I just took a liking to it and never let it go. And when it came time as a, as a young person, I don't know, fifth, sixth, seventh grade to try out for the basketball team, it was very natural to me. And um it's something I did, and, and, and I did it for hours upon hours every day. Um, before I did mm. homework and before I did anything else, I went and I played basketball. Um, mm. And I took a liking to it, and luckily for me, it's, it's given me a, a beautiful life, and uh, basketball has given me a career, and many, many things that I have in life come from the sport of basketball. So I, I'm indebted to basketball itself. So the game has been this bridge for you for so many parts of your life and created such a seamless path into your heritage. Mm 
So when you reflect back on that specific pairing, what does it mean to you now to be Armenian? The first thing that comes to mind is that uh, I'm very proud to be Armenian. Uh, when somebody asks me what nationality I am, uh, I, you know, I, I can't wait to tell somebody I'm Armenian, you know, because we're Armenia, obviously, is a, it's a very small uh, community. It's a very small country and it's a very small community. Um, but we're very, as, as a community and as a nationality, we're very proud people, very resilient and extremely hardworking. And uh, that's something that makes me proud to say that, that I'm Armenian. Anywhere in the world that I travel to, uh, if I meet another Armenian person, it's like I've met uh, a brother or a sister. And, and, and that's an awesome thing to feel. Um, you know, the other day we were in Toronto playing the Raptors and uh, I was leaving the tunnel coming out onto the floor uh, for the game. And, and somebody in the crowd yelled, inch best S Rex, you know, and I turned around <laughs> and, and I didn't know who it was. And I waved and I saw one guy in, in the stands who I'd never seen before. And he was waving at me. And I just felt to myself, you know, th there's a sense of enormous pride, I think, uh, for people who, who like support me, they're supporting me, but they're supporting the culture of, mm -hmm. of Armenia and who we are that I'm, I'm on kind of in this stage of the NBA and in this arena and um, people in Armenia or, or Armenian people, they're, they're proud of each other's, I think, um, you know, ability to do better and, and, and do more in their success. And I think that leads into my next question. Um, ever since I discovered you and especially after speaking with your close friend, Diron, I found that you have this incredibly positive, infectious attitude. Where does that come from? Mm. Wow. Uh, thank you. I think, um, I, I don't know. I feel like I've been very fortunate in life. Uh, my mother worked extremely hard and, um, she raised myself and my brother, uh, to be respectful and, and look at things in a positive angle in any situation. Um, I, I've seen how hard she worked. I, I was, uh, I was fortunate enough to talk and speak with my grandmother and have a relationship with her and speak to her about uh, her life and her upbringing and the atrocities that, that she had to go through and the things that she had to see fleeing the massacre in 1915 and, and coming immigrating into, uh, into New York. Uh, and, and just when I think about the things that other people had to go through in order for me to be here today and be successful, I, I don't want to waste a minute of my time uh, being, I guess, down or sad or angry. Uh, I want to celebrate what I'm doing every day and enjoy mm. what I'm doing every day. And I try to bring that um, because I, I think you're either bringing energy or you're taking it. And uh, I, I want to bring it every day. And especially when you're in a group setting like I am every day with, you know, 15 players 10 coaches, uh, you know, we're around each other every single day. I want them to look at me and feel like I'm, I'm bringing a good vibe to the group, you know? So that's kind of what, that's kind of how I, I look at my day. Yeah. I mean, I'm just getting chills listening to you. It feels yes. real. It feels relatable. You know, we have a choice of how we show up. And as I've been watching clips of you, it's very clear that that's the energy you bring into the gym. You know, if your team gets beat bad, you still have to bring the good energy. And you're managing everyone's emotions just as much as you're managing anything else. 
So let's shift gears into your career. Your breakthrough story into the NBA, to me, is indicative of not only who you are, but how bright this light inside of you shines. So in 1995, there you were, volunteering as a video coordinator for the Los Angeles Clippers, and someone saw that positivity in you. That person just happened to be the head coach and future Hall of Famer, Bill Fitch. How did that happen, and what did he first say to you? <laughs> um, backing up on that story for a second, I, I, was, I was coaching at East LA College after I had played there for a couple of years, and I wanted to try to get into the NBA, so I got this internship with the LA Clippers, which was you know phenomenal for me, very hard to get, and I was able to get in there. Elgin Baylor, who was the general manager at the time, the late Elgin Baylor and the great Elgin Baylor, uh, was legend. my GM at the time, a legend, uh, hired me. Uh, so I'm, I'm in there and I'm doing some work. They, they hire a guy named Bill Fitch, who's a Hall of Fame coach. Um, and he says, who's, you know, who's doing all the scouting on, on videotape? Who's preparing our team? And um, at the time, I was kind of doing it, but I was doing it in a role that really wasn't paying me. Um, so I was, I was coming in and sacrificing different things and, and my time and, and um, doing, doing a role that, that really there was no job at the time in 1995. So uh, Elgin had said to Bill Fitch, he said, we have a, a kid in college. He coaches in college, but he comes and he helps us. And his name is Rex Kalamian. And uh, you know, he does a great job. And he says, well, let's get him on full time. He said, because I need to start putting him to work. So wow. my first phone call was to Bill Fitch. And we spoke and, and I worked for him for the entire season uh, doing, you know, film scouting and preparation for upcoming opponents. Uh, and at the end of the year, he called me into the office. He said, Rex, he said, I, I want to make you one of my assistant coaches and I want to do a lot of things for you. He said, because I, I, I really believe in you. I think you could be uh, very good in this business. And he said, I'm going to put you in the NBA pension plan. I'll never forget it. And he said, wow. you probably don't even know what it is today. He said, but uh, someday when you retire, he said, you'll thank me. <laughs> and <laughs> I've, I've called him many times since then and thanked him. He's true. Um, but, uh, you know, from that point forward, you know, it's been 20, whatever, 27 years, you know, I've been able to stick and work in the NBA as an assistant coach. And, and I owe my success to a lot of other people other than myself, honestly. And for context, Bill Fitch is the 10th winningest coach in NBA history and also considered to be one of the all-time greats. I think the fact that he's a part of your story is no coincidence. Um, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And he was inducted to the Hall of, the Basketball Hall of Fame last year. He was yeah. unable to go because, because he wasn't feeling well. He lives in outside of Houston, Texas, about an hour outside. Uh, and Rick Carlisle, who coaches uh, the Indiana Pacers now, is also, uh, uh, I guess, a, 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 a mentor of, uh, of Bill Fitch. And um, he called me and said, why don't you come with me and let's go to Coach Fitch's house in Houston and spend the night for, with him while he watches the ceremony on television. And we did just that. We flew to wow. Houston and spent the night with, with Coach Fitch and, and watched him be inducted into the uh, uh, Naismith Hall of Fame. And, and it was really, it was a cool mo moment uh, for me to be able to see it. And, and, you know, he's failing with his health right now and uh, to be there for him and to sit in his living room and watch that with him, you know, 20, 27 years later was, was pretty cool. Pretty cool. Moment. Incredible. 
I mean, having the opportunity to show up and show gratitude for the people that have literally changed your life must be incredible. No um, question. Yeah. After the Clippers, you continued your MBA in Minnesota, Oklahoma City, Sacramento, Toronto, and of course now Detroit. You have coached the All-Star Game three times, and that brings you in the huddle with some greats like, you know, Kobe and LeBron. I mean, can you describe what that experience is like and what it means to you to coach an All-Star Game? <laughs> uh, All-Star Games are a lot of fun. Uh, it's primarily, uh, it's at the about the midway point of the NBA season. So uh, it's about a five-day break. And um, when most people are probably looking forward to going on vacation for those five days, if you're named to be a, a coach or on the coaching staff of the all-star game, like you jump at the opportunity, right? Because it's a, it's an unbelievable opportunity that, you know, uh, a lot of coaches don't ever get. And, and you're named as an all-star coach because you're on the team that has the best record at the break. So it's a great honor. And like you said, I've been, I've been fortunate enough to be on three different all-star teams and be around these types of players. And uh, really like a lot of guys you spend um, you play against throughout the year, but now during an all-star break situation, everything is so it's, it's very loose atmosphere and you get to talk to different guys and, and um, really make some relationships over the weekend. So it's it's been fun, like you said. I've I've been able to be around a lot of a lot of great people uh, and players: Dirk Nowitzki, Steve Nash, Kobe Bryant, um, and then obviously Kevin Durant, Russell. They were on those All Star games. LeBron James, just the the, the biggest stars in the game, and uh, it's been a, a lot of fun for me to to be able to be in any any All Star game situation. Has always been fun. I can only imagine. Now, you've been the assistant coach to the head coaches that have received the NBA's Coach of the Year Award, including Scott Brooks and Dwayne Casey. Now, I don't find this to be a coincidence at all. And since we are all playing support roles in our lives, I want to ask you, what does it mean to be a great assistant both on and off the court? Ooh, uh, being an assistant coach uh, in the NBA and always looking forward, trying to help out your head coach. That's the key. Like for me, I, I'm always thinking ahead. Like what can I help the coach with? What fires can I put out for the coach that I'm working for so I can take something off of his plate? And, uh, you know, I've, I've developed this skill of being able to help the head coach as much as I can. And it's something that, you know, I, I, I still, you know, day to day I may – slip on, but it's where my mind is. You know, I've worked for so many great coaches, Alvin Gentry, Doc Rivers, Dwayne Casey, uh, Scott Brooks, George Carl. And then most recently I was in Sacramento with Luke Walton, who's an NBA champion and just a, a really good coach, uh, a young coach, but I, I I've been around a lot of great people and these guys are all leaders as well. And it's been interesting to see the different leadership styles that each one of them has. And I try to steal a little bit from all of them and, and create my own leadership style so that if and when someday I'm a head coach, I can take the best of all the qualities that I've learned from all these different guys uh, and, and put it together and, and be the best coach. And you know, a lot of times, my, a, a lot of what I learn doesn't only come from the head coach, it comes from the players themselves. Uh, I've been fortunate to be around a lot of great players who I've learned a lot from along the way as well. 
So I'm going to drill in a little deeper. I want to know, just from your perspective, what when when you're off the court, what do people come to you for? What is your role off the court? On a in 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 the practice facility on an off day, or do you mean? Uh, I mean I mean in life because there's no way that people <laughs> entrust you to give their talents that are some of the greatest on the earth and develop that into <laughs> execution and skill without having some sort of sage wisdom. So I've got to know what is it that makes you great off the court and what are some of the values that you stick to that you feel make you effective? Well, I always preach core values to my kids, right? I have two kids, Mason 20, Ella 16, and they're great kids. Um, and I talk to them all the time about core values. And I, I even talk to the players about core values because they're just as young. Cade Cunningham, the number one pick in the NBA draft, is a month younger than, than my son, Mason. Uh, and everything that I parent with Mason, I try to sometimes bring to Cade and say, hey, listen, you, you know, these are some of the things that you could look forward to in life. And, and I talk about core values and, and everybody has different core values. Um, mine uh, are professionalism, loyalty, communication. Um, uh, these are things, and, and the most obvious and biggest one for me is respect. And these are things that I try to give to my children. And, and to the players. Um, and I find myself preaching, unfortunately, a little bit more than, than I probably want to on a day-to-day basis sometimes with the players. But some really pick up on it. And I really feel like that's part of development when you talk about player development in the NBA, coaching young players. Uh, it's not just making them good basketball players, but it's teaching them life lessons. And I think showing them what's, what's coming ahead for them, not only – in their profession, but maybe off of the floor, you know, what to expect Mm -hmm. and what to prepare for. So um, I don't know, people come at me for me with different things. Uh, I I try to preach to my kids and teach them. They're not so uh, willing to listen some days. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I I turn my attention other places and then come back to them. But I, I, it's a daily grind as any, any parent knows uh, getting your, your teenage kids to uh, to listen to you uh, is sometimes uh, sometimes a difficult task. <laughs> well, as a former teenager, that is something that I can certainly attest is true. Um, now, as I was researching you, and just from my own knowledge of the game, I found something interesting, although not surprising given what I know now. It's just that I'm used to seeing players or coaches, staff, all at some point asserting their knowledge in subtle ways. The coulda, woulda, shouldas after, you know, usually losses or low points. But I just, I don't see that with you. I didn't see it with you, nor did I even feel it, like, ever. Um, you know, I, I honestly, I was looking for some crack of frustration. But it's just so clear to me that you're loyal and committed. And like you said, you have just such a great respect for the game. It, it makes sense to me that you had these players who you've been so instrumental in developing. I mean, James Harden, since his first years in the league, Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant, DeMar DeRozan, you know, we look at them now like they've been here and great forever, but it's just not true. So to put it lightly, you have had a heavy influence on today's greatest basketball talents, all who have trusted you to turn that talent, which is what it is, into execution and skill. So my question is, 
What are the sacrifices that you have to make to be the kind of person who can prepare the greats for greatness? Thank you very much. First of all, I appreciate those kind words. I, I, I have to keep working on myself so that I can give knowledge to the people that I'm coaching and teaching on a day-to-day basis. So I don't ever feel like I've learned what I need to learn. I, I have to still be uh, an information gatherer personally. And I try to do that because I, I'm entrusted by our, uh, our team owner, our management, our head coach to help develop uh, young players and, and watching these young men grow, mature, develop basketball skills and become leaders uh, and then eventually retire and become coaches. That's to me, like the most rewarding part of the job. Um, that's what I enjoy. Sacrifice. That's a whole nother thing. Like sacrifice um, is, has been difficult. Sacrifice is uh, how much time you put into your job versus being with your family, raising your kids, being there. Um, on a night to night basis, because uh, the long days and nights travel, uh, the NBA season, the summer trips to go see and work with players that that's all, unfortunately, taking time away from my family, uh, from my kids, raising my kids and, and being there uh, as, as much as I've wanted to. Um, and I have to find a balance. There's got to be a balance between family, self, work. Uh, and I've, I've been able to continue to work at it and try to find it. Um, and it's not easy, but, uh, there there's, you know, it's, it's something that's on my mind each and every day on putting, you know, putting value in being with a team or with a player, uh, and having great value in being home and being with my, with my children, you know, and sometimes the two, those two roads come together and they blend together. And I bring, you know, when the kids, my kids were smaller, I'd bring them to the gym. When we lived in Toronto, uh, I worked out with DeMar DeRozan every single night that we were in Toronto. We would come back to the gym at nine o'clock at night. And uh, I would sometimes bring, you know, my kids, both of them, one of them, two of them, and, and come into the gym so they could see what I was doing and be around, uh, be around the, the, you know, just kind of the, the I guess, the, the feel of the gym and, and to right. understand what I do on a day-to-day basis. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. And, you know, those sacrifices, again, so many of them, they just go unseen. Um, But there's something less flashy, I think less big names and more telling of who you are that really stands out to me. And that's your focus on tomorrow's talents and your volunteer efforts. And a big part of this podcast is being inspired by the totality of one's life. And so, You know, I just want to shift from this career in the NBA to something that's a little more out of the limelight. Can you tell me what is Academy USA? Well, Academy USA is a it's a gym in Glendale um, that has uh, provided a lot of uh, how should I say this? A a lot of different type of playing time for kids to be able to come in and play different sports within that gym. Um, it's, it's a, uh, it's a place where people teach, where they coach, where they play. Uh, it's not just for basketball either. There's different types of sports. There's different types of training that go on in Academy USA. 
And uh, it's just great for the community to have something uh, like this built. And um, it's not just for uh, the Ar Ar Armenian community, although they use it quite a bit. Um, it's for a lot of different, uh, a lot of different teams that want to work out. Um, and uh, it's just, it's just a, it's just been really, really instrumental in a lot of people developing uh, and getting better in sport. And in the summertime, a lot of NBA players use it just to work out and to stay in shape. Well, it's worth noting that the reason NBA talent shows up is because of your volunteer efforts and leveraging the relationships that you've curated and earned very, very much earned over time. So you're running these volunteer clinics in the community, which obviously means so much to them. My question is, what are some of the life lessons that basketball has taught you that you hope to pass on to the next generation? Mm. The the NBA has taught me so much and I've spent over my half my life in the NBA. So it's kind of what I know and it's kind of how I was raised. Uh, and my personality has been transformed through the NBA. I think um, the things that I've seen uh, and, and the success I have has really come from watching other people. You know, I, I've coached hall of fame players great players, role players, and fringe players, right? There's, there's four different types of, of players. And what separates each class of player between the Hall of Fame, the great, the role, and the fringe is the work ethic. It, it's, it's the work ethic and the belief in getting better every day. And um, I've tried to adopt that, you know, in, in the unseen hours of the, of the NBA, and there are a lot of them, unfortunately, uh, the time in between games and shoot arounds and practices, um, what we're doing to try to get better. And uh, the, the talks that I've been able to have with different players who've been highly successful in, in this sport um, have all helped to transform me. And, um, you know, this is what, this is what I've tried to take out of this profession and, and being around some of the, some of the best uh, in the NBA, you know, the, the life, the culture, the travel, the unpredictability, it's all kind of shaped me. And um, over 28 years being with nine different organizations and moving, you know, whatever, eight, nine different times uh, has all, I think, hopefully for me, it's, it's built some character and some resilience that, um, that I can overcome anything. And that's what I try to teach uh, players that I'm, I'm coaching and, and teaching now. Yeah. You know, you said the work that nobody sees and, you know, admittedly, I think that my generation, we believe just because we see it, well, of course it's going to happen. But you know, the reality is, is that there's always more work just because you're in the NBA doesn't mean you're going to hit the shots that you need to hit. And the fact is that when they show up for the after hours work, you also have to show up and it's such a giving of oneself to enable that and allow that. It, it, can I, can I exp expand Absolutely. on that? Absolutely. Sure. Um, Kev Kevin Durant hit a huge shot in the NBA playoffs in game four. I believe it was against the Cleveland Cavaliers. It was a transition shot. He came down right to left crossover and he hit a deep three point shot when he was with golden state to win the game basically. And, uh, and, and it helped them win the championship. And, um, I texted him that night and I said, congratulations on that shot because I know how many times you've had to practice that shot 
when nobody was watching in order for you to make it in the most important moment, maybe of your career when everybody was watching. And, and I had seen it for seven years over and over and over after practices in the summertime in gyms that nobody was in him working on that same shot. And, um, I thought that it, it, it was a really cool moment that not a lot of people probably understood. Like he didn't make that shot because he's extremely talented or, um, that, that he's skilled or that he's tall. He made it because he practiced it for thousands of hours, probably prior to shooting that one, right. At that exact moment, he had probably yep. thought about that moment and, you know, it, it came alive and he knocked the shot down. So to your point, that's, that's what it's all about. It's about your preparation and it's about what you're doing when nobody's watching that sometimes comes to light. Absolutely. Uh, okay, I'm going to get you out of here soon, but let's circle back to where we started. And I'm not even sure if there is a right way to ask, but what is the gift and what is the burden, if there is any, of being the only Armenian represented in the NBA? Hmm. Well, I've never felt a burden of being an Armenian in the NBA. Um, I- I've always looked at it as a gift. Uh, I know how many Armenian people in general enjoy basketball and how many kids love the NBA, especially in the, in the Los Angeles community. Um, and, and I try to give my, my, my advice, my experience, and my time to the Armenian community and share what I've learned over the years. So uh, anytime an organization or a school or, or, or whatever um, asks me to come speak or uh, to come uh, give a clinic, I, I'm always up for the, for the, uh, for the, ch- for the, for that experience. If time allows it, um, you know, I've been very fortunate to be in this situation and, and, and not a day goes by that I don't appreciate it. Honestly, even after all mm-hmm. these years, I, I'm still, I'm still, uh, excited about it and I'm still juiced up that I get to do this every day. And, uh, and I still appreciate it because the NBA is a, an unbelievable life and, um, sure there, there are a lot of, uh, sacrifices, but it's, it's a, it's a very good life. And I've been very fortunate to be in this position mm-hmm. that I'm in. And what would it mean to you to be the head coach of the Armenian national basketball team? Well, it's something I really want to do. We've discussed it many times. I've been in contact, uh, with the people in Yerevan, uh, who run the team and uh, it'll obviously be a, a big honor to hold that position. I know the past two summers I've, uh, had on the schedule to go to Armenia and to help with the national team. But because of uh, the COVID and, and everything that's going on, I haven't been able to make it there yet, but it's on my schedule. And at some point um, we'll connect and, and hopefully uh, I can coach that team and we can someday put uh, an Armenian uh, team into the Olympics. Hopefully we're still years and years away, but that would be the goal and the vision someday. What would it mean to you to be the first Armenian coach of the NBA right here in our own country? Well, it'd be very meaningful to the Armenian community. I know that. Uh, I, I know how much support I've always been given throughout the community. I, I feel it daily. But just uh, because it's such a small community, 11 million uh, Armenians, to be able to make it to that level as a head coach in the NBA, something that there's only one of 30 of at any particular time. 
uh, it would be, it, I'm sure it would be inspirational to a lot of people. And uh, it would be uh, very exciting for me. I've, it's something I've worked my whole career to prepare for. So uh, hopefully, uh, you know, I would get that, get that opportunity someday. Well, I think I speak on behalf of at least 11 million people when I say that we are rooting for you and we're excited for you. So let's get to the last part of our interview today. It's been so great, but I'm going to conclude with an Armenian twist on the Bernard Prevost questions. So let's have some fun and start with what is your favorite word in Armenian? Ooh, Sonor Halagam. Sonor Halagam. That means thank you in Armenian. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but that is my favorite word. I'm not the guy to correct you. So I'm sure that there will be others. <laughs> okay. What is your least favorite word in Armenian? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I don't know if I have a least favorite word, honestly. Um, I don't think I know the language well enough to have a least favorite word yet. Hmm. What turns you on about our heritage? Mm. The passion, the unity, the togetherness, um, mainly though the resilience that we've shown within our culture, having so many setbacks, but still remaining committed to what we do as a culture and who we are, a hardworking group of people. What turns you off? Uh, entitlement, people who don't want to work to receive things. Uh, I'm a big believer in Whatever you want, you got to go out and work for it. What Armenian dish do you love? <laughs> Armenian pilaf. I love pilaf. <laughs> <laughs> yes. What dish do you hate? Probably anything made with bell peppers. I remember my grandmother years and years ago when I was a small child making something with bell peppers, and I think I'm still, uh, I think I'm still against the bell pepper uh, thing. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite Armenian curse word? Ooh, I don't know many, uh, but I know a word, Esheg. I think it means donkey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or something like that, Esheg. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If our ancestors were here, what would you want them to know about the future? I, I think personally, my grandmother who passed away years ago, I, I want her to know that when she ran for her life in 1915, she gave life to so many other people. She, she built a family and her fight and her resiliency set the tone in, in, in my family uh, for years to come because of who she was. And uh, I, I, would, I would want her to know that everything has uh, worked out well. And believe it or not, um, everybody is good and we're on we're on solid ground. And guess what? There's cell phones now, uh, mm. which is kind of <laughs> cool. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, if heaven exists, what would you like God to say when you get to the pearly gates? Mm. Welcome home. Well, Rex, thank you so much for your time. This has been such an incredible interview. You have been so gracious with your time, and I have loved getting to know you, as I'm sure others will as well. We are all rooting you on. And so tell us, how can we support you? Is there a way that we can find you um, along your journey? Absolutely. I'm on Instagram. Uh, it's kind of my one social media thing that I'm on. Uh, and they, you know, whoever would like to reach out to me can find me uh, under my name on, on uh, Instagram. Well, Rex, thank you once again. That's Rex Kalamian, no underscores, no hyphens on Instagram. You can follow his already 
historic MBA journey. My name is Ross Asdorian. Thank you for coming along with me on my journey. This is Made of Armenians. Until next time, Padiegak. <laughs>